Software Engineering Radio Episode 98 Rest with Stefan Tilkov. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for supporting the podcast. Okay, welcome listeners to another episode of Software Engineering Radio. We are here at OOP, uh, another conference where we interview people because doing live interviews with the new gear is much better than doing the remote stuff. This time we have uh, Stefan Tilkov as a guest and we're going to talk about REST and SOA and also REST for internet applications, I guess. So, Stef Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. So... Um, To get us started, um, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of what REST is and where it is used and how it like, fits into the picture of SOA and, and all that stuff everybody mm -hmm. talks about. Okay. So to start very briefly, REST first of all is an acronym. It stands for Representational State Transfer, which is not the most accessible of terms. Right. <laughs> so um, this is actually mostly due to the fact that the term has been coined as part of a of a dissertation so roy fielding um a very well-known guy in the the um, web community actually one of the inventors of many of the web standards um invented the term in his in his uh, doctoral thesis mm -hmm. um to describe one of many architectural styles i don't think we should dive too too deeply into all of this because it leads us down you know, a track where many people will criticize me for using the wrong terms to, okay. to express that. So, okay. um, well, what, what's, what's important is that REST is a set of core principles. REST is a set of principles that are mm -hmm. independent from any particular technology. So you could, um, you could apply those principles to any architecture that you build. If you mm -hmm. build something in purely in Java, you could build it in a RESTful way according to, to those REST principles. Mm -hmm. But there is one um, instantiation of the REST principles um, that is the... the the best known, which is uh, the web itself. Mm -hmm. So HTTP and the associated protocols like uh, URIs um, are essentially based on those principles. Uh, Roy actually wrote the dissertation after the fact, so some people accuse him of, of doing that, of inventing something um, yeah. posteriori. Yeah, in fact, stealing. Yeah, but he's, he's actually actually he, he's he's been involved from the start in building those in building those uh, protocols, mm -hmm. and um, it's he makes a very convincing story that actually, that actually those principles have been there and have been available without that name as as the core principles underlying the web. Okay. So I, I just noticed that I completely forgot to ask you who you are and to wow, introduce okay. yourself, but I can do this very elegantly. So how is it that you uh, <laughs> <laughs> deal with it? What do you do in real life? What's your job? Okay. What, you're, what do you do? So so my job <laughs> and, 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 and the reason why, why I actually deal with this stuff or I'm interested in this stuff is that I'm, uh, I'm actually working with a consulting company. Um, and uh, we focus on software architecture. Mm -hmm. And um, while in the past we focused mostly on single systems, on, on trying to find the best way to to um, to architect a, a mission-critical individual software systems, um, the focus has mostly moved now towards integration. So you no longer mm -hmm. build a single system. Right. You yep. always build a system of systems, yep. and every system has has interfaces to others. So I'm naturally interested in, in, in different ways to doing that. So yep. I've spent a lot of time... Um, Using using Corba and, and other technologies, and before we founded InnoQ, which is the right. company I yep. work for, um, and um, when when we actually founded InnoQ in, in 1999, 
we were doing Corba and Java, and then we did J2E, J2EE, and, and then we did a lot of web services stuff. So for a long time, I used to be a, a strong believer in web services. And with web services, you mean more or less the XML, SOAP, UDDI, Whistle? Yes, mainstream, right. mainstream mm -hmm. SOA technology. Right. So, yeah. so what, what yeah. most people use for building for building SOAs these days. Yeah. And um, I was intrigued by by this REST thing, which I which I had heard of, and then I I, I started to look into it, um, and there was some. There were very, very few people who actually talked about REST when I when I when I started to to get to know it. One of mm -hmm. the most vocal ones is Mark Baker, who, yep. did, a, who did, did a who did a tremendous service to the industry by very patiently and and very very um, um, consistently advocating the use of REST wherever possible. He tried right. to educate people, and when he started that, basically everybody thought this guy is nuts. He keeps on ranting about this stuff that nobody nobody wants to use in real world, and now yeah. now we found that it's generated so much interest because yeah. it turns out to be a very great thing. I think Mark recently wrote some blog entry or said something. I read this on Steve Finoski's blog who recently also converted to REST, right. which is a good sign for REST. Anyway, but he, he read something that Mark has somehow has gotten demotivated or fed up with all this war against REST versus uh, official web service stuff. So can you, before we look at REST as As, a, as an architectural style and at its principles, let's briefly visit the war and what it's all about and then not mention it anymore. Just to get this theological religious discussion out of the way. What yeah. is it that, that, that you know, creates this conflict? Uh, there, there has been criticism by, um, by the people who built the web um, when, uh, when web services were invented. So people started inventing web services as a way to do distributed computing mm -hmm. over internet technology. Yep. So let's use HTTP because it's deployed everywhere, because uh, the firewalls uh, allow us yep. to, to, to put everything through HTTP. Let's use that to build uh, the next generation Corba stack. So nobody mm -hmm. called it Corba for obvious sure. reasons. The com Corba was and stuff like that. But um, people wanted to have uh, the next distributed objective technology based on those things. And the web folks said, look, You, you haven't really understood the principles behind all of this. Mm -hmm. Listen to us for a while and first of all, understand what it is that you are building upon yep. and build on it in a way that actually conforms to its, to its architecture. Yeah. And uh, this, this was basically ignored. Many, many people in the, web, in the web standards groups and many people in the, um, in the committees that actually standardize web services did not have a good understanding of what the web is about. Mm -hmm. It sounds very arrogant for me to say this, but I yeah. fully admit uh, of uh, fully admit to having belonged to that community myself. Right. So mm -hmm. I was totally yeah. convinced that we need a lot more beyond basic HTTP to build distributed systems. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could you possibly build a distributed system on just HTTP? I mean, you need lots of other stuff on top of that. That what was what I believed. So... Um, This, this war was essentially be be between two groups of people. One, one of them said, look, we know how to build distributed systems because we've been doing that for years with Corba and right. with DCOM and with other distributed technologies. Mm -hmm. um, learn from us and we'll help you bring the web to its next, uh, to its next phase. And then right. we can use the web for machine-to-machine -machine integration. That was mm -hmm. one group. And the other group said, look, you folks have failed. You failed to build something like the web on Corba. Mm -hmm. all, your, all your great theories just don't work. Distributed yeah. objects are a failure. They're not yep. a success. When I, use something to, uh, when, I, when I use my web browser to connect to some web server, I'm not using uh, uh, IIOP. Yep. I'm using a simple text-based, a simple internet-style protocol to do that. So listen to us. We know how to build really scalable internet-scale yep. systems. You yep. don't. So that was the war, and that still is the war that's going on. Mm -hmm. Much of it is based on misunderstandings. So many mm -hmm. people see, uh, see um, uh, advantages and disadvantages on both sides simply because they're ignorant of the, of the respective 
uh, features. So, as in any war? <laughs> as in any war, yes. I, I, I fully admit that I'm on the, on the rest side now, very, yep. very firmly. So I, I strongly believe that in most cases, rest is the, be is the better option. Yeah. And I've, I've, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to find good scenarios for the web services standards these days. Yeah. So, the, so then before we discuss uh, the, the, the REST stuff in detail, it's important to just say that uh, it is, of course, intended for internet style or business systems. I mean, if you want to build, I mean, just to take the typical Doug Schmidt example, right? If you want to build uh, a, a network system for a warship or whatever he's always doing, uh, then that's obviously not something you would do with REST but probably also not with web services. So it's really not about building all kinds of distributed real-time systems. It's really about doing um, the typical distributed business-slash-enterprise application or internet application. So I would definitely agree that it's not intended to be used in real-time scenarios. Yeah. Um, or wh whenever quality of service assurances are important and, and, and that stuff, where you need those more maybe sophisticated protocols. Maybe yes, yes. So I would say it's it's applicable in in uh, it, it would definitely say both are applicable in scenarios where you have um, where one of your goals is loose coupling, right? So where you want to have systems connected, but you're not um, this the 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 world doesn't stop if or, or no nobody dies if uh, if if the system doesn't respond in a second or yeah. in, in, in a hundred yeah. milliseconds. Yeah. So obviously yeah. that's it's not real time capable. Yeah. But um, it's a, both styles, I think, are applicable in a lot of scenarios, and I think the, the especially the REST style is mistakenly um, thought to be only usable in a in a very in very few scenarios. And I don't right. think it is. Okay, so let's look at the details of REST. Um, you have this nice list of five steps or five right. building blocks. So why don't we uh, step through those? Okay. So so the first one, of the you know item zero, as as I say, is always. Um, I, I, I should actually be careful to not confuse REST and HTTP because those are two things. As I mentioned before, HTTP is just one example and you could build another system that is even more RESTful than HTTP. Um, uh, and uh, and so it's one should not confuse the two terms. Those are two things. But right. for all practical purposes, if we talk about REST, um, uh, um, just in common usage, people, yeah, we, people are talking about RESTful HTTP, about using HTTP as okay. intended and as described in the REST uh, principles. And we can maybe later briefly revisit the question, what other system could be even more RESTful or what that means. Right, right. Okay. So the five, the five things that I think are important is the first is um, <clears throat> essentially you, um, you give everything an ID. Mm -hmm. You you um, you decide to um, to adopt a single consistent naming convention or identif identification uh, convention for all of your important things or resources, as as they're called mm -hmm. in the in the rest world. Uh, on the web, this this ID is the URI. Right. So um, essentially, you identify things with an, with a URI, and everything that uh, that merits to be identifiable gets its own URI. Mm -hmm. um, And that is that is a very a very key concept. Um, this this doesn't necessarily mean that those things have to be static or that they have to be um, entities in a, in a database or in a persistence yeah, sense. So yeah. you could have a process step, or yeah. you could have a salary increase, or you could have you know whatever virtual virtual thing it is that you want to that you want to identify later on. Reminds me a little bit of the early days of object orientation where people initially started, you know, like underline all the nouns and the requirements and you have your objects and then over time people noticed that there is additional classes and objects that you need to make the system work and you also include those things as yes. identifiable things. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I agree. So you have to you have to think of, of what the right resources are. And as we will see, REST is, is constrained in in in, in in other respects, mm -hmm. so um, you really have to have more nouns, more things right. than than with other styles. Yep. 
The second principle is that you use those IDs to link things together. This is something that, that, that we all know from working with the web. So if I, if I put one URI in, in, my, in my browser and, and, and hit enter, I get back some, some representation of a resource. That's the terminology. Right. Um, so I get a web page, for example, that contains links to other web pages, mm -hmm. to other resources. <clears throat> so a representation of a resource contains links to others and linking the, the concept of hypermedia is probably the most important concept. Of course, it builds on the fact that you have have IDs for sure. things yep. so that you can link them together. Yep. But this link is a very important thing and it's not only important for human consumption, so not only if a user clicks on a link, but you can easily imagine that a program can also follow right. a link and you can connect things together in new and specifically unforeseen ways. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can aggregate things from a number of different um, locations together and I don't even have to see or I don't even have to... Um, be aware of uh, where that link points to. Right. So I can aggregate links to resources from, from different systems, which is only possible because I have adopted a single consistent yeah. identification strategy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be possible. Which is the URI. Right. And, and I guess one of the most, um, let's say, widespread representations is probably XML. And then you can define a schema where one of the attributes or one of the elements contains a link to one of these other things. So that's the way how we create links. Absolutely. I would, I would say that even the, 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 that the most widespread representation formal is actually HTML. Because that's just really? a... I mean, yeah, okay, well, I mean, should, of course, for classical end-user... Yeah, you know, those end-user applications and those machine-to-machine -machine things are not as different as you think they are. Maybe that's the it's, point that's, for us. That's one, one of the key takeaways of this whole thing is that um, essentially if you have built a, a, a web UI according to REST principles, then you are, then you are 75 to 85% uh, um, of the way you, you, mm. have, you, have, you okay. have already made 85% of the way towards right. a machine-to-machine. -machine, well, but, but you still need the information probably to be a bit more structured so your program can reasonably work with it. I mean, if you have just crappy HTML that's completely polluted with layout-specific HTML crap, that's True. not what you want right, to use. Right. So, so typically XML, I guess, if you build it dedicated for a computer-to-computer, machine-to-machine conversation, XML is probably more suitable, I guess. Yes. Um, not to drift off too far from this particular principle we were right. talking about, but I think what, probably the sweet spot is XHTML, mm -hmm. where you actually have, right. uh, have a good choice. You ha it is XML, so it's, yes. it's, it's parsable by a real XML yes. processor, by yeah. a real XML parser, yeah. and you get the benefits of having it both human-readable as well as structured enough to, to put in information. And you make sure that the layout crap is factored out into CSS so right. it's not completely polluted. Exactly. So Which is good style good. anyway. Yes, I agree. Okay, number three. So, now you have those links, you have those IDs. Um, now the question is, what can you do with an ID? I mentioned one thing in passing, which is that I can put the URI into the address bar of my browser yep. and hit enter. Yep. Um, and this only works because all of, those, all of those resources, all of those things or objects, if you want to, um, all support a standard set of methods. Mm -hmm. So, I can, I can do a get an HTTP GET on any resource that's identified by a URI. Mm -hmm. and that's an extremely powerful concept because this GET has this uh, GET method, this GET verb, as verb, HTTP yeah. calls it, um, has uh, has a certain set of semantics defined for it in the in the HTTP specification. Mm -hmm. So I can, if the if 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 the person who implemented the stuff on the server side has has followed um, the specification, I can rely on the GET not having uh, any negative effects for me. Yep. So an, an HTTP GET uh, will never uh, oblige me to anything. I will not have to pay for it. I will yep. not have to um, to. I, 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 I won't get an invoice two weks later telling yep. me that I have it should get there. GET yep. should be safe. That's yep. the terminology. Yep. And there are other methods, namely put 
post and delete. Those are the mm -hmm. core, the four core methods in HTTP um, that actually um, also have specific semantics assigned to them in the specification. Yeah. This is maybe one case where we can uh, draw the line between REST and HTTP just to illustrate the point. Um, REST says you have to have a uniform interface, right. which is the same set of methods for all resources. And HTTP makes that specific and says the four methods there are actually a, a few more, but yeah, sure. the core methods okay, are get, put, post, delete. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this particular instantiation of REST has these four methods, but yeah. it could be totally, absolutely possible to have 10 verbs if you yeah. want it. And, and of course, if you think about that your, your eyes are more or less noun kind of things, then you probably will need things that create deletes, <laughs> you know, and and gets those things so it's a it's a natural fit to have those right. four so every other rest interface will probably be more or less probably somewhat similar yes i think you're right i've never thought about that as much but you're probably right you can't you do much end more up with than something with like things. that there was there were some things like for example in in, a, in an earlier http draft spec there was a, a verb called patch mm -hmm. which was actually a partial update right which is a very reasonable thing to have, and actually, yeah. some uh, somebody, a guy named a guy called James Snell, is actually at the moment working yeah. on um, uh, uh, reawakening an internet draft that standardizes yeah. patch um, again, so that could be added. Yeah. The nice thing about those four ver verbs is, or about any set of constrained verbs, is that you are able to build um, generic tools, generic clients, and generic service that can do something mm -hmm. reasonable with that, or intermediaries that can do yeah. something reasonable. Okay. This thing with this limited set of verbs that is then generically applied and semantically reinterpreted, right, for all those different things you've underlined before, that's something I was, or I still am a little bit skeptical about whether this is the right approach. But uh, maybe at the end of this discussion, I'm maybe convinced. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Right. So we have, a, we have three of the five things I, th I think mm -hmm. we've, we've mentioned. We have, yep. we have the IDs, so we have a URI for everything. Yep. We have links to link uh, stuff together. Yep. We have... Um, the standard set of methods to apply to every uh, to everything to every object. Mm -hmm. uh, next next important point is that um, you only interact with resources through their representations. Yep. So a, a resource is a concept um, that uh, that you never really see in itself. It's yes. very you know platonic. So you um, you do a get and you get back one representation of the resource. Mm -hmm. And um, you, in HTTP you have the concept of content negotiation that enables you to actually ask for different representations. Yep. So for example, if I have a customer that is identified by some URI, yep. I can do a get and say that I would like to have the the text slash HTML representation of the mm -hmm. customer and I'll get back an HTML page, right. which is exactly what my browser does when I put the URI into the address bar. Or I can issue a get using uh, um, an accept header that says I ha want to have application slash XML. Mm -hmm. and I'll get, ba get back an X XML representation. And this concept is very important because it allows me to um, interact with the same resource in different ways in a different with using different representation and that probably doesn't just extend to using different to using different let's say technical data formats you can you could probably also say i want let's say the, the short summary information about something as opposed to the more extensive stuff or is that kind of going too far i would suggest to use different resources for that so okay one concept, I mean, it's this is really we're really entering the realm of design decisions here. Sure, yes. unique, you could you could model stuff different yep. ways. So um, what's I'm, the best I'm, practice? Yeah, that's that's maybe one of the things that that uh, that is there are, that are only just emerging. Okay, um, I mm -hmm. don't think there has been any agreement on best practices. Yep. There is a great book by yep. Sam Ruby and Leonard Richardson called "Restful Web Services." Mm -hmm. It's the one I recommend to everybody. I will put it in the show notes. Some guy made a made a made a nice joke at one of the conferences I, I attended lately, which was like, uh, "The Roy Fielding dissertation is the Old Testament." <laughs> 
<laughs> and restful that services the New Testament. So, I think it was Sanjeeva Weeravarana, who's one of the of the most entertaining critics of Red. <laughs> okay. So, um, <laughs> actually, the New Testament or the Restful Web Services book has a set of of, of well known well known best practices. Um, well, whether they're well known, I know, but of best practices, um, I'm not sure what it says with with this aspect. My personal recommendation would be to use uh, something like a, a sub resource. This is not really a concept from from uh, yeah, from so REST, but uh, I would actually, see, 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 see. you know, mm-hmm. uh, URLs uh, uh, can be; they don't have to be, but they can be human readable, yep. hackable, as yep. people say. Yep. So I would just append um, an identifier at the end yep. to uh, to access the sub resource. Right. So, 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 so yeah, so you would probably still use this. So assuming you you you, you use like integers to identify the various whatever customers then you would use the same id for all those variations but you would you would append something like summary info basic right to it. okay i right. see that that makes sense because i wouldn't like to change the actual identity identifier you know the number that kind of feels wrong to me well you but have I to you know you know. have to you have to get over you have to get over your technical knowledge and and forget that the id is just the integer i mean the id f- yeah, is, is the uri yeah and actually if i if i look at a customer that has uh, an address and um, a, a history of purchases and um, I don't know what, a region he's assigned to and yep. a sales representative. Sure. Um, the customer itself is a reasonable resource. So I have a URI to identify the customer and yep. I get all of the information. But the customer's address is also a meaningful resource. And that has a different ID. Sure. Right. And that ID doesn't necessarily have to be a, a hierarchical relationship sure. to the first one. It can because it, it makes can, it easier yeah. to understand yeah, the I system. Yeah. You know, but it's not as if it's any, any if it's any part of rest in that respect. Sure, so. and there's certainly no technical requirement. Right. It's, it's just, just that a my stomach yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your your stomach is probably right there. Okay. So <laughs> gut feeling is okay. It's also hungry. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe the, the last the last thing that's important as a core as a core principle is um that you that you're supposed to communicate statelessly mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the it's the restriction on, on statefulness yeah um this is all this is often misunderstood um because people think well if if i can't have state how can i ever have a, a database that persists sure. something obviously yeah. it doesn't mean that you that you cannot have a sta- state stored somewhere there's there's a, obviously a resource state yeah. it just means that you shouldn't keep uh, any uh, any client specific information in a session. Yeah. So sessions are totally totally opposed to to rest's core beliefs. You shouldn't do sessions. Well, you should turn session state into resource state. Okay, but that's isn't that I mean isn't that in some way a little bit I mean if you have a highly scalable web application the session state is persisted to a database anyway. So what's the difference? W- which exactly proves my point. I mean, the the thing is, we we start. To, that's what it, I'm saying. There is state. Well, you know, there is state that acts as session state yeah, from its meaning. So it doesn't matter how you implement that. No, there is a there is a, there is a huge difference because if I, for example, um, shop at uh, at a at a website, and I I I have my shopping cart which mm-hmm. I add things to. Yes. Um, in one. In one implementation, I can send you a link to that shopping cart, right? Because it's resource state, and I can say, "Look, Marcus, this is okay, what I, I plan to purchase." Because it's identifiable again. Yes, it's identifiable. I can link to it. Okay. I can bookmark it. Okay. I can send that link to somebody else. Okay. In the other implementation, it's just you know, it's unnamed, client-specific state. Um, yep. I think the the or- original motivation for having a session state was that um, database actions were perceived uh, to be too expensive so we ended up building that putting that stuff in memory Mm. and then we noticed well okay now i have it in memory but now i have this this clustered system now but i have to make sure that if the client hits another server um, it has the state so i persisted which is absurd it shows that the 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 core idea was the right one that's actually a good uh, good point and i've built web applications using this database matter for myself i just yeah so yeah 
Okay. So I think it's 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 maybe you know you you may be doing rest or maybe sixty or eighty percent of rest. Uh, you, you you may have been doing rest for a long time just without being aware of it. Who you know, it's just like you, yeah. you know. If you apply those principles, I think they are just good principles yeah. of, of that design. Yeah. You also see many, many web applications, um, even web applications intended for humans, who violate these constraints. Mm -hmm. One example is the uh, is the give things an ID constraint, so the identifiable resources constraint. Because, uh, for example, if you look at many, especially um, in the Java space, if you look at many frameworks, they just give you a single URI and put, tunnel everything through post. Mm -hmm. So... You never see a change in your address bar, and if yeah. you send a link to somebody, he'll sure. he'll, he'll get he'll get the homepage because yeah. he needs to build a session yeah. set, which is bad. I mean, well, no it depends on what you want to do. You might not, as an application designer, you might not want this temporary data to be available to others. I mean, well, okay, if if it's if it's not supposed to be available to others, then you yeah. pro then you protect it accordingly using authentication, and that's something that you should do that's, anyway. Okay, yeah. So Security I don't think that's a that's through, a yeah. that's a reason to do, for doing okay. that. Okay. Another thing is very important, which is that those principles. Um, are just the, the the core guidelines, and nobody says you have to um, uh, you have to conform to all of them all of the time. So I mean, we're all engineers, and if sure. we're building something, yeah, it course. makes sense to to relax those constraints if yeah. necessary. Yeah. So I guess <clears throat> we successfully stepped through those five um, building blocks. Um, let's look at um, why. Well, of course, HTTP in the internet is a good basis for doing REST stuff, simply because it has proven that it works. Mm -hmm. But is there other um, stuff about the HTTP protocol that's useful in that context? So how do you, in other words, how do you, what are the features in HTTP that you use to build scalable high-performance mm -hmm. applications? Mm -hmm. So first of all, you have to be aware that HTTP is a, is a very powerful protocol. It's a very, it's a very big protocol. It's a complicated one. It's, mm -hmm. it's one that, that, that you and I would not design over a weekend. So it took a lot of, a lot of effort. Um, of, of many people to come up with a thing. And it has a lot of features that many people are only superficially aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my favorite feature of HTTP is, is caching. Mm -hmm. So caching is, is very sophisticated in HTTP, and it's actually what makes the web so scalable. It actually enables, enables you to, um, to retrieve a representation of a resource um, and um, in, in many different ways um, ensure that you don't retrieve the same information again unless it's necessary. So, for example, you can do a conditional get, which means if you do a get on a representation uh, and a get on a resource, you get back a representation which might feature an e-tag, which is a hash value over some internal resource state, and you send back the next get with that um, e-tag in, in a header. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, send me the representation if it's different from this one. Yep. And the server will reply with a with a with an appropriate response code that says no, it's, it hasn't been modified. Mm -hmm. How does this relate to the expires header? That's also part of the caching process. So you, you have different ways to control yeah. you, to, to control caching in HTTP. You have, can have uh, timestamps. You can have um, expires headers that say how, how for how long it is okay yeah. for a for a cache to hold yeah. the representation before it needs to ask again. That's a very very sophisticated protocol. And on the web, maybe ninety five to ninety eight percent of all of all actions are actually read actions are gets mm -hmm. yeah. so it makes sense to optimize for yes. that maybe in an internal in an internal business application that number yeah. is not 98 percent, sure but it's still definitely a way over 50 yes. so it's it's very important to do that yeah um you also have a a very set a, a very rich set of um of response codes in, in, H, in http status status codes that actually yep. have sense from a from an application perspective because they say, for example, this resource has moved. It's now somewhere, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. 
or this resource is gone, which means it was there before, but now is no longer. Mm-hmm. Or um, this is temporarily unavailable. This is permanently moved. This is not found. This is, in theory, available, but right now I have an internal server error. Mm-hmm. Or this is okay. Or I have accepted this request. I can answer it right now, but I may be able to do so later. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of application-level response codes in there. You also have those methods, those application-level methods, get, put, post, and delete. Yep. Probably the most controversial discussion whether those are really application methods they are application methods on a certain level so you could say that the most uniform interface you know the most generic interface that you could apply everywhere would be process this yeah do it it's like do it (laughs) yeah and the process this has actually been been popularized by uh, by jim weber and savas parastatidis two very smart guys from the web services community they said we have this style called mest it's not REST, it's MEST, it's message, I've forgotten the acronym, message-driven something. So it's inspired by REST yeah. and says, I only have this process this and everything is in the, method, sure, in the I mean, message. Basically, you have a, a mailbox into which you right. shove messages and then right. the message says what it should do. Exactly. So that's one option. But the, the problem with this kind of interface is that it's so generic that it's meaningless. I mean, it doesn't say anything. It just, you know, you have, you've essentially um, made it so generic that all of the meaning is now in the message. Yes. REST takes a middle ground. It says, I have some yeah. level that is generic across all resources in all applications, which is that there are certain things that are merely reads. Those map to a get. There are certain things that update the resource. They affect the, res- the resource they are applied to. You map them to put. There are certain things that lead to the resource being gone. Yeah. delete and there are things that uh, rely on post which is essentially on the one side um, create a new resource yeah. uh, so it doesn't necessarily affect the resource it's applied to it might create a new resource and post is also the generic cop out methods if you can't do if you can't find anything else you can always yeah. map it to post yeah and, and, and I think it is a limitation to have only those four verbs right um, a, and that absolutely. means that you either have to misinterpret them in some in some cases or you have to come up with uh, artificial nouns artificial things to be able no. to address them yes that, I that's, mean, how do you that's the point we had before right yeah, so, right exactly um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I disagree with that I would actually try to convince you that you have to think of it in terms of um, object orientation and inheritance mm-hmm. so what you actually do is you you derive your your application specific interface from the rest application interface mm-hmm. which means that you that you have to take care not to violate yeah. the semantics sure. associated with those four things it's the, it's the list of but substitution you can, right you can specialize right you can, so you specialize yep. and it's perfectly fine as long as your resource conforms to the http resource protocol it is a valid http resource Sure. It may also be a valid Marcus Felter resource, a Felter.org specific Whatever. application yeah. resource. Yeah. So if I'm a client, I can actually be a client on two levels. I can be mm. a, a generic client. Yes. I'm curl or wget or I am a web browser. Yeah. Then I can interact with your resource yeah. based on my knowledge of the HTTP specification. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also true if I'm a cache, for example, or yes. if I'm a proxy, or yeah. if I'm the Apache web server, or yeah. any of the other tons of, sure. of, of reasonable and very well tested and, and, yeah. and efficient web software yeah. pieces. If I am a specific client to your application, yeah, then, you know what then I know what I actually do if I, do, if I, if I yeah. invoke one of those methods. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree that is a limitation. You have to design differently. You end up with more nouns right. um, instead of more verbs. Yes. Um, but you gain something which is Obviously, I mean, you have to, yeah, you have to have to you have to have a good reason to yeah. accept limitations, which is that you gain this widespread, um, generic um, uh, applicability. Mm. You actually become part of the web instead of tunneling your stuff through it. Right. Yeah. Let, let me just let me just add to that. That's the one major major point that um, 
that the web folks have criticized um, in the web services approach mm -hmm. because the web services approach tunnels everything through post. Mm -hmm. So let's, I mean, that's not true for SOAP 1.2 in theory, although in practice everybody still does it. So yeah. in SOAP 1.2 you can do it. In practice, everybody does that. In practice, um, you also have um, uh, the concept of an endpoint, yeah. which is that you identify your replication with an ID And then you have uh, um, a set of methods in your service that sits at that particular endpoint. So essentially, you ignore much of the aspects of HTTP, um, which is which is only I mean you have to because web services are supposed to be agnostic to yeah. the protocol. So yes. you cannot exploit you cannot, HTTP. Yeah. But there's simply no way to do that. Yes, yeah. if, they, if they're supposed to be able to run over TCP, or you cannot messaging use, middleware. Right, you cannot use any of the features of HTTP to do that. So there's, yeah. there's simply no way. No way to to yeah. consolidate those two yeah, worlds. Sure. Anything else about the HTTP protocol? It's worth mentioning. Mentioning. Well, I have to say that it's supported everywhere, absolutely right. everywhere. I mean, every client, every library, every yeah. programming language has support for HTTP. It's it's extremely well tested. There's some great software. Um, for example, I would say that uh, that the uh, they that the HTTP server, the Apache HTTP server, mm -hmm. and 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 that the Squid proxy cache are yeah. probably. Uh, um, um, Light years ahead in terms of, or years ahead in terms of, um, of of quality and efficiency and and uh, and, and maturity, uh, as opposed to any ESB you can buy today. Probably, I mean, that software yeah. that's that runs half the internet, half yeah. the web runs yeah. on Apache HTTPD. Yeah, yeah. So there are there are many, probably lots more. Just to mention some, you could you, you have built-in compression cap capability, so mm -hmm. you, the client and the server can negotiate whether or not to compress the stuff. Yeah. You can chunk. Uh, data transfers. So yeah. um, there's no problem downloading, uh, if you have the bandwidth, there's no problem to download a 1.2 gigabyte Oracle installation image over yeah. HTTP. Yeah. You don't do that over web services and you don't do it over Kava. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that just work and that have been established over the course mm -hmm. of the time of mm -hmm. HTTP. So let's look at the little sample application or a sample case study and, and contrast uh, the web service approach with the REST approach just to make things clear. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess the example is the usual order customer stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so why don't you outline the solution that you would do with Corba Web Services, WSI, whatever? Mm -hmm. Let's just ima imagine that you want to uh, want to have a system that handles orders, and, and you'll, you'll typically have a, a order management interface. It's the order management service. Yep. And uh, if you do a Corba style um, um, interface, or if you do the typical web services mainstream style interface, you'll have um, multiple operations in this interface. And this opera these, these operations are specific to the task at hand, right? You want to build an order management system. So you have one method that accepts an order. Let's call it submit order. And it, as a parameter, it gets an order object, and yep. it gives you an ID, yep. which, you, which is, of course, a proprietary ID in the scheme of your order management yep. system, right? It'll be 4711. That's the ID you get back sure. if you submit an order. And then you have to pass in that ID if you want to inquire about an order. So mm -hmm. you have a get order details, and you pass in the ID of the order and get back an order object or an order XML Blob. Uh, blob, whatever. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. So you have those operations. Let's say submit order, uh, um, um, get order details, list all orders, um, delete or cancel order. You probably don't want to delete. You want to sure. cancel mark it, it so as deleted. Mark it yeah. as deleted, whatever. Yeah. So that's a typical approach. What it means is that you end up with such an interface for every specific application that you build, which mm -hmm. is exactly what it's designed for. Yeah. Um, and you also typically have some sort of description language which may be code in the case of yeah. RMI or it may be um, an IDL as in case of CORBA or DCOM okay. or it may be um, some whistle file yeah. that says this is the way I describe it with XML schema and with the, with the stuff that whistle adds on top. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if I map that same scenario to um, to a restful HTTP approach, I actually end up with um, with more nouns than verbs. Yep. So um, I will have um, orders, and any every particular order will have its own ID. Yep. So the ID concept that is proprietary in, in what I just described will become the mainstream ID concept, which is URIs in the RESTful HTTP approach. I, I will also find nouns for the collections of orders. So yeah. that's, that's one of the typical, typical best practices, right? It's not part of HTTP or part of REST, but it's yeah. something that has, has been established over the course yeah. of time. So I'll have a collection resource that has all my orders. Mm -hmm. And I have another collection resource maybe for my customers and for yeah. other stuff. It's not, not much, it's just like uh, Eric Evans' stuff, right? He has a repository for stuff. Is that the domain-driven development yeah, right? guy? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you have the things themselves. You have entities and repositories, and both are things, so. objects. And here in this case, there are both resources. You can interact with the collection or with the single thing. Right, it's a... It's a it's it's a uh, composite pattern so in this case, I think. So um, every collection resource is also a resource and yeah. can contain resources. That right, would be yeah, probably yeah. that. Yeah, so, yeah. But I, I don't know the, the, the DDD, yeah. DDD stuff that well, so yeah. I can't really comment. <coughs> yeah. um, so you have, you have more nouns now. You have, in, in the case of the first service, the order management service, you would have a single, mm -hmm. a single URI if you deploy it as a web service. In this case, yep. we now have an unlimited number of URIs yeah. because every order and every customer and every other object in your system has yeah. its own ID. Yeah. And now we have the methods. So now we have... Now we have something like submit order. How do I submit order? Mm. Submit order, if I, if I uh, try to find the matching method in the HTTP application protocol, would be a post. Yeah. Because typically, um, I use a post to create new resources. Yep. And the target of that post, the URI that I post to, should be the containing resource, yep. which in this case is pretty obviously the orders collection. So I post an order to the orders collection. I get yep. back in a location yep. header the ID of the newly created yep. order. In the example you have here, we're actually reading this from a bunch of slides, um, mm -hmm. cheating here, um, you have also this hierarchical URI where you express that there is a bunch of orders for a given customer, so the URI would be slash orders and then the, uh, so, sorry, slash customers and then mm -hmm. slash the customer ID and then slash orders. So that's exactly this way of hierarch hierarchically providing more details about, about right. things. Although I have to warn against, I mean, one of the things that many people start when they adopt REST is they become, uh, they become fanatic about URI design and they spend mm -hmm. like, you know, 10-hour design <laughs> sessions on coming up with the right way to structure yeah. your, your URIs. Now, I love readable URIs. I think that's a great thing and I love hackable URIs. So, uh, if, I, if I look at the URI in, my, in the browser, it's great if I can just cut off the last segment mm -hmm. and get something meaningful oh, back. I mean. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's, they're hackable and that's good. Yeah. But that's Oh, that's not in any way as important as many people think. Mm. It's good to have readable URIs just as it's good to have readable class names and readable variable names, but you shouldn't get too too uh, fancy with that. Okay. So there's a huge difference between those two things. In, in, in the one scenario, yeah. I have, I have a, a service deployed at a single endpoint, and the value that I add to the web is essentially one URI that I can post to. And I can only post to that if I know exactly what application specific is behind that. There is no way for, for a generic client to make any sense. Mm -hmm. You could build a generic client if you have the whistle. You could generate some UI. Yeah. That could, but, you know, it's, it's like, if, it's like I'm, I, I, I try to become part of this great big web, web and I just hide everything in this great room behind the door that I can only go to if I have the key for it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the, the, that's the, the, the sure. model. Yeah. If I have the, uh, the, the, the REST approach, uh, the RESTful HTTP approach, I add a, a gazillion new resources to the web that mm -hmm. can be linked to. 
for example, I can send you an email and include a link yeah, to sure. an order. Yeah. Um, I can build a web page, an HTML page that has that. I guess here is my point. If you build a system that is intended to be used on the internet and integrate with the internet so you can send links to resources using email, then um, obviously using the RESTful approach is better for the reasons you outlined. I mean, there is no arguing about that. However, if you build a, distrib a generic distributed system that's maybe not on the internet, that's used within an organization, um, maybe not even this enterprise-wide thing, maybe it's just a, I don't know, a flight management system which connects info terminals and, and the data backend or something. Why is this an advantage that you are integrating in some way or shape or form with the web? I don't see an advantage there. Well, it's, 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 a very, it's a very good question. I would argue that um, organizations internally more and more resemble the characteristics of the internet. Mm -hmm. So they become uh, combined in new ways, they, they, they restructure, <coughs> the, you, you have a mergers and acquisitions, things change all the time, they become, you know, the business becomes loosely coupled because you cannot rely on the same people being there on the next floor because they, you know they might they might belong they might they might work for a different company or they might or their work might be or might be offshore to India tomorrow. You have mm -hmm. no idea what happens to your company. So it's a good thing to build for loose coupling, as the web as the internet does. The another thing is that um, that was a very good point made by Pete Lacey, another another well known REST guy, uh, in one of the one one presentation I recently attended, uh, which was that um, people. As with the PC revolution, people become used to certain things in private mm -hmm. or yep. in external use, and yep. then they carry that to right. uh, within the enterprises. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I can do a Google search and find information on the internet mm -hmm. might make people think why it's so hard for them to find information in their own company. Mm -hmm. So if everything were exposed as a resource within mm -hmm. the company, never mind the internet, just within sure. the company, yep. and you have a single Google appliance that can work because everything is exposed as a resource, yep. everything supports a GET, and everything yep. returns a readable format, then you could actually do a Google search across all of your company's yeah. information systems. Yep. You can use Microsoft Excel to pull in an HTML table from, from resource and do calculations on it. So there's lots of benefits that you gain from so that. So your point is basically that there is no point in distinguishing between an enterprise system and the internet because both are actually solving the same problem and it, yeah so so it's good to consider the enterprise a web-like environment right to a large degree i think that's true i mean well uh, security well, yes blah, there, are, there are issues i mean yes some things are even easier if you're within a company it might be easier you don't have to defend yourself against uh, those denial of service sure, attacks but yes. who knows maybe that's that's <laughs> yeah. going to be a problem within the company as well yeah you know maybe not as not as intentional but you yeah. might end up with the same with the same kinds of attack yeah so um i think we we discussed the the, the building blocks of rest um let's summarize why people should care why why is it that people should maybe actively try to learn rest or inform themselves about the differences between the two approaches how do you um, become informed and why should you so first of all i think that that the restful approach has has proven to be very very scalable very useful very um, very successful simply by by uh, uh, s because this is simply shown by the by the web's success i mean yep. if you look at if you, if you talk to somebody 15 years ago about the goals of the web everybody would have told you that um, that you, you 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 would be crazy to expect this to work And it works very well. We're all relying on it. It has really been a, a disruptive change within the way we use we use IT systems. Yeah. So that's, that let alone is a good reason. Um, another thing is that even if you don't, even if you end up building your system to system communication using web services, maybe for political reasons because yeah, you sure. have no other option, or yeah. maybe because the tooling and the skills of the people you have is just um, supportive of this and not as supportive of the rest stuff. Um, um, even if you do that. Being aware of the REST principles will make you build better web applications for human consumption. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because many people just uh, don't know about these things. They they use a get to to change something. Yeah. It's a bad idea. If I yeah. link to yeah. that to that resource, I'm not really linking to a resource. If somebody follows that link, yeah. they'll invoke that an action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's something is wrong there. People yeah. just yeah. tunnel everything through post because they're not aware of any of this. Yeah. So even even if you only do it for that reason, it's it's a good thing to do that. Yeah. I do believe that the main argument is that. Um, if you look at the history of distributed computing in the last 15 to 20 years, you can see that there's always been this, this goal of this ubiquitous um, 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 system of this, of, of this set of, of principles and technologies that's available everywhere so that everything can connect to everything else. Yep. And I, I don't know, you, you, you probably remember those O'Farley, Hockey, Intergalactic, Web of Objects, Carver books. Do you <laughs> yeah, remember Yeah, I do. Yeah, so I that was the first time. When I, when, I, when I read them, I loved them. I thought, this, yeah, yeah. this is the great vision. I could have any object on the planet yeah, talk yeah. to any other object on the yeah. planet. And we all know how that turned out with Carver. It may be because of political reasons, but still it never t- never worked out the way people envisioned. Sure, but I mean, there's two different problems. I mean, one problem is that the fine-grained object kind of stuff simply doesn't scale. So even if you build a system with Carbar, people don't build distributed objects anymore. They build distributed facades or whatever you want to call this, stateless right. typically. So that is an architectural insight that has, um, well, that just everybody knows about. So that's not specific to REST or anything. I agree. What I, what I wanted to say is though that... Um, the vision that the, that those folks had back when they were Didn't totally totally yes. uh, uh, f- total fans and had had yeah. drunk had drunk the Korba Kool Aid, that vision actually is much more realized in in HTTP than in any of Korba's successors. True. Because yeah. I really can now access any resource on the planet. Yes. I can call it an object, and actually, the, actually, if HTTP want, yeah. has has as much similarity to. To, uh, to mm. object orientation? Yeah, the nouns. Uh, the nouns, right, the <laughs> nouns. And it has the standard set of verbs that's not common in, 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 yeah. in, in object-oriented systems, um, but it also relies on the, on the internet-style uh, um, way of doing protocols, like text-based and very simple, very, um, very easy to understand. And um, I think it's actually proven that it, this is a very good way to, to, to build those things. So I think it's definitely worth a closer look and we've seen great success in building systems so what do you do if you need transactionality security and all that stuff where in the website WS Starland uh, you right. have all these fancy standards how do you compensate for not having those things in a REST environment okay. so, so, so first of all let me say that I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of, of, of using the term WS Death Star which is, has been invented <laughs> by David Heinemann and Hanson I have to admit though that since I've used that a while, while back the, the universe with the web services standards has has become much more reasonable. So mm-hmm. the, the many standards are now gone, simply yeah. have been consolidated. So yeah. it's much, much better than it was two years ago. I'll okay. definitely mm-hmm. concede that. Um, but still, I think that many of the, uh, many of the standards, um, although pretty good, for example, the WS security standards are not bad at all, yep. um, are simply not used in practice as much as people like to believe. Mm-hmm. So for example, there's a good case to be made for message-based security, which is supported by WSS. Mm-hmm. Um, but in practice, it's often way too expensive and not worth the effort. So people yep. use SSL. Yes. People build web services and use HTTP and SSL and HTTP basic authentication, which is exactly what you'd use in a REST-based approach too. So there's not really a difference there. Yep. Um, transactions is another good example. I think transactions in a loosely coupled system are generally a bad idea, um, especially, of course, if you're considering the atomic kind or 2PC kind of transactions. Yep. There are other transaction protocols, compensating transactions, yep. things like that. I have. I'm not a big fan of putting that into infrastructure. I think that's application logic. So, I've never run into that transaction problem as much because I think you have to think about yeah, if, if loosely you, coupled connected systems. Yeah, differently. In, in loosely coupled systems, there isn't much infrastructure can do. I agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, 
people some some, some people disagree. I'm, I'm open to, to debate here. I'm yep. not, not advocating yep. that. Yep. And if you have if you have for example a, a case where you need to integrate um, existing um, systems that support two PC transactions using OpenXA, you may be better off using using something else yep. than REST. Then of, that's also a very important point. There is lots of cases where RESTful HTTP is not the best option. Right. Yeah. But I'm doubtful whether the alternative should then be web services. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the, uh, sometimes Corba might be a better solution yes, because you have an existing Corba system. Yeah. Sometimes a JMS, a messaging yeah, system. That's what I meant. I think there is no point in trying to play REST against... I had the extreme example with uh, real-time quality of yes, service yes, in okay, Corba, right, right, or if right. you go back to, let's me- say, messaging backbone application infrastructures right. in a big enterprise, REST is really an alternative for cases where you would use WS star stuff. Yes. That's what you yes. should contrast okay, yeah. it to. I know, I understand that's you. What right. I, that's that's perfectly, perfectly reasonable. Okay. Right. So before we wrap up this thing, I would like to ask one thing about tooling. You mentioned it before in passing. Um, there is all those uh, web services tools where you pass in a Vistal file and it generates all those you know, stops and stuff. Mm-hmm. So what kind of tool support is available for REST? And maybe the question I should ask before, how much tool support is actually necessary considering mm-hmm. that it's uh, internet protocol based? One of the nice things that that has happened in the last few years in the web services space is that um, that two concerns with regards to tooling have become separated that that were that were merged together before, which is the separation between the actual um, um, invocation and the data binding. Mm-hmm. So um, earlier versions, in especially in the Java land, had had a single approach for that. Now you have um, with with JAXWS with the, with, the, with the successor to JAXRPC, you have. Um, the choice of using your data binding. Basically, any Java web yep. service tool could allow you to do, to do the same thing. You can yep. use any data binding. Yep. And of course, you can use exactly the same data binding tools with REST. Yeah, assuming you do XML because most of these data binding tools yeah. are XML. Yes, but you also have data binding tools that allow you to, to do JSON to objects right. okay. and back. So mm-hmm. it, it's really, yep. if, if you're a fan of data binding, and I'm not, um, if you are a fan of data binding, you can use the same tools in both worlds. You okay. can the same, same thing. So the question is, do you need something that generates a, a stop for you that has um, has submit method. I mean, you, you know, the difference, it's not that big a difference you anymore. You don't have those in, methods anymore. They're right, just called I mean, get post. Yes. In, in, so, in, 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 in rest of you you use the same methods all the time. Yeah, so again, a generic have. submission right. interaction thing. That said, I'm actually part of the, I'm actually, actually a member of the expert group on, on JSR 3.11 in the which Java is, space, which, which is, is the Java API for RESTful web services. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's an API that is uh, in typical typical uh, current Java fashion annotation driven yep. and gives you a very easy way to expose Java objects as RESTful resources. Mm-hmm. And in contrast to many other standards in this space, it's it's been done um, by people who really, really understand uh, REST. Yep. I'm not talking about myself, talking about <coughs> the other guys there, yep. who really understand it and um, who are trying to avoid all the typical mistakes. And yep. even, even Roy Fielding is involved with this, not actively, but he's mm-hmm. doing all of that and making sure we're not doing anything dumb there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I'm, I'm not that big a fan of, of annotations, of annotations yeah. in Java, so I have my problems with that as well. But still, I think it's a good way to, um, to enable mainstream, mainstream programmers using the mainstream programming language to yep. easily build systems that conform to those constraints. So yep. I think the tooling is getting better. And um, even within the web services space, um, where you have that much tooling, you often um, end up building worse systems because of it. So I'm skeptical mm, of sure. any sort of tooling anyway. Yeah, so. Yeah. Okay, so let's this uh, let's wrap up this episode maybe with uh, summarizing a couple of important takeaway points. 
um, why don't you just do this? Mm -hmm. I guess you know what they are. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things is that many of the promises of the web services on WS Star Space, I think, um, are questionable, and you should really, you should really um, ask yourself whether these are really things that you need and things that are really. Um, that you really gained some benefit from. So my favorite example would be protocol independence, yeah. which is something that is so leaky. You know, it's not you're not you're not abstracting over your protocol at all. If you've ever tried to build something that works equally well over JMS and HTTP, you'll find out that this protocol independence is is a is not really that true. Yeah, I think that you need to distinguish between uh, abstracting away the protocol as an implementation of an interaction paradigm and trying to abstract away the interaction paradigm you can't do that you can't exactly that's, so, and exactly, that's the, the point. exactly the point Absolutely. So, right so you right. have so to jms is so totally different than http maybe right but yes. you can abstract away messaging infrastructure the one you choose and say you have <coughs> i agree you so, just know it's messaging yeah i know but so, if, if i just know it's messaging i can use jms i mean that's a that's an api i could use yeah and i have customers where they have different languages and they can't use jms all that but uh, it doesn't matter anyway, just go okay, on. So, i don't want to spoil you your know, that's not, no problem <laughs> so the point. first thing is um <laughs> there is a there is a there's a, a, a promise associated with with web services exactly. that i think is questionable <clears> because you can either use the stuff that web services are supposed to encapsulate or yeah. you can use or you can go down the full restful http yeah. route yeah. i mean after all web services are supposed to create a single widely deployed uh, set of protocols that everybody can use. Personally, I would rather use a set of widely deployed protocols that's already there than waiting for another one to become available that adds no value for me. You know, yeah. it's like I, I, th I think protocol. I think that's also a Mark Baker quotation. I think protocol independence is a bug and not a feature. Yeah, I saw that before. Yeah. The the, <laughs> the next one um, would be. Um, I think it's perfectly fine to standardize on standards. So many people are afraid to standardize on HTTP, which I don't get. I mean, you don't become dependent on any single vendor. No. You, you pick a standard and stick with it. It's like wanting to abstract away um, whether you store your data in an XML database or in a relational data, uh, database or in flat files. I mean, sometimes you have to make decisions and you shouldn't be afraid to make decisions and mm -hmm. you just pick one of them. Yep. And it's yep. perfectly fine to do XML over your messaging system of choice. Yeah. If you have decided to use, uh, um, I don't know, WebSphere MQ everywhere, which is something that many companies do, yeah. why would you want to abstract that away to no, to no benefit? It doesn't really give you much. Yeah. And maybe the last thing is, I think you should really understand the web's architecture, even mm -hmm. if you later decide not to use it. You should yeah. understand it. Yeah. Um, and and my, my obvious recommendation would be you should um, understand it as well, uh, well enough so that you can exploit its benefits. Um, for example, all of the scalability things, the interoperability, yeah. Yeah. the caching, chunking, compression, all of yeah. that stuff, I think yeah. it really leads to, your, to you being able to build better systems. Okay, very good. So is there anything else you want to say, uh, pearls of wisdom you want to leave with our listeners, as the guy on the space show always says? Uh, pearls of wisdom, I don't know, but maybe, maybe <laughs> one of the things is that I'm, I'm really happy that uh, I think it's now starting that we're moving beyond this, uh, this, uh, this versus that yeah. war. You know, it's like this has not been very, very productive. I think it, it was necessary for some time to, uh, to make to make people aware of REST. Yes. Now they are, and now I'm really happy that we can move on and yep. actually try to come up with those best practices that you yep. mentioned with yep. typical solutions to typical problems, yep. and I'm really looking forward to the next few years in that regard. Very good. Then I uh, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for time. Thanks for listening to Software Engineering Radio. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website, or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick Reddit Delicious and Slashdot buttons. 
To contact the team, please send email to team at scradio.net or if it's specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can read and react to your comments. This episode of Software Engineering Radio, as well as all other episodes, are licensed under a Creative Commons license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle. <laughs>